Hi, this is Jamin Fraser, and you're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. This podcast is a mixture of interviews, coaching sessions, and personal development content. You'll hear me chat with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do great things in their life as a result of working through their insecurity. You'll hear brave souls being willing to have a live coaching demonstration recorded where they work through their insecurity. And you'll hear 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver high-quality personal development content to help you on your journey. I hope you find it useful. Now on to today's show. Hey, you're on the Insecurity Project. I have the privilege of coaching Lisa today. That's always a big deal when someone's willing, or it's a big deal when someone's ready for change, let alone being willing to have that change conversation in front of others. So it's a real gift that uh, someone is willing to give. So if you're listening in from wherever you are, only love and respect for Lisa as she's uh, working through a point of change in her life at the moment. So thanks for being on the call, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Well, it's always a treat talking to you. We've done some coaching over the over the years and you're familiar with the coaching framework, which is great because it means yep. we can get straight into it. So um, tell me a bit about what's going on for you at the moment and you know where you'd like to see some change. Okay, so I've spent the last couple of weeks really um, just really trying to gather some awareness and creating some space where I can hear um, and get the answers and, you know, welcome the answers. But I've I've really whittled it down to um, these couple of things and it is um, my fear of not loving well enough, Um, my fear of not um, being loved the way I want to be loved, Um, but also to just, uh, I'm at a a place where I am aware that there are fears there that are um, quite self-reactive that cause me to um, withdraw my love from other people which yeah, sure. you know ultimately, ultimately sets up insecurity in them as well um and then you know there's this, uh this continuous cycle of self-protection basically and so um yeah i really want to get to the bottom of actually what those fears are and why where that story of of fear um, has come from. So yeah, as as you know, I'm going to Arizona in three months for a uh, three month internship at a women's drug treatment facility. I'm yeah. really really passionate about people um, and addictions. Really passionate about recovery. Um, but yeah. there is an area in me that um, is self protective. You know, obviously because of um, situations and relationships in my own life that have involved um, addiction that have caused a lot of chaos. Um, so there is definitely an apprehension there and a confusion on how do I really love well um, within the context of my highest values, um, which are quite spiritual. Um, and... Yeah, what 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 are those what are those areas of of fear that cause me to 
withdraw and self-protect and cut people off. I don't want to continue that pattern. Uh, I want to really try and ascend um, higher than that. I want a belief system that is free from those fears. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, so in the interest of uh, getting straight into the compensation and being able to serve you at a higher level, uh, where I'm thinking it would be useful to take the conversation, and please guide me if, if it's not resonating we don't feel we're on track, um, my aim is just to serve you, so you know, pull me up. But I, when, I, when you're telling a story, I was thinking about a couple of things. Um, the first is that the fear of not loving well enough and the fear of not being loved well enough uh, are similar but different, and yet neither of those two fears are the, the root fear. So there's there's something underneath both of those that are causing those, mm. which which um, you know it's hard to change what you can't see. So if you if you deal with surface level problems, then you can only ever expect short term freedom because yeah. you fix a surface level problem and oh great I've fixed it, um, but you haven't fixed it from coming back again. So yeah, which is, yeah, when you which deal is with yeah great. So when you deal with core root problems and you change them then you kind of make lasting change. So um, so let's explore the, the depth of that fear, what that's really about. But by the way that I think might be most useful to do that, because, I mean, obviously, if you could have seen that already, you would have. So we've got to be a bit clever yeah. and creative around maybe dancing around that to help you get some new awareness. Um, yeah. So I love Stephen Covey's idea that Successful people, uh, one of their key habits is that they begin with the end in mind and then they work their way back, work their way back from there. I think it's a uh, it's a clever observation and certainly rings true in, in all that I see and people who kind of find a way to, to get what they want. So if you were to start there and tell me about what you do want instead of what you don't want and how you would really like things to be, um, then we can kind of work our way back from there and explore um, you know more about this current situation and how it's set up to not get you that mm-hmm. um, so because ultimately um, you know I say this all the time that uh, and I use exam- I use anxiety as an example um, anxiety has to have a backstory uh, otherwise yeah. it makes no sense to be anxious of course so, you know fear fears the same there has to be a backstory. Uh, otherwise, it makes no sense to be afraid. Um, health is exactly the same. Uh, being in areas of unhealth or having excess weight, there's always got to be a, a story behind that that sustains that. So the aim of the game is to live in a way where it doesn't make any sense to be afraid. There's just no reason to be afraid, no reason to be anxious, no reason to be anything other than flourishing. Of course, which doesn't mean removing everything out of our lives that supposedly causes anxiety because that's not the issue, right? Of course, it's not the issue. It's it's all about the story. So that's totally right. If you are anxious, that means you have a story that says, hmm, I can't deal with the current challenges in my own facing. Yeah. So therefore, I feel lack and I feel inadequate to deal with the realities of my current world. So therefore, I'm I'm anxious and looking for an escape. Um, yeah. The person who doesn't which, which feel the great, which the great thing, yeah, which the great thing is, I'm not at that stage because I know that the freedom is just an awareness away. 
you know what I mean? So yeah, I've, gone past that, I've gone past that place of um, trying to micromanage, control and remove things that create fear. Um, it's get, it's now, it's like, okay, well, listen, what what is this fear? Because once I'm aware of that, then I have all ability to, you know, work through and cope with whatever is presenting itself right now. Yeah, fantastic. Yep. So let's let's go to that end point. So tell me about what you would like to have happen and what's the ideal scenario for you? So the ideal scenario for me is to love people well without judgment. Without yeah. judgment, with, without without feeling like how does this reflect on me personally? You know what I mean? Like if I'm if I'm if I'm helping or training somebody or assisting someone in recovery, how do I love that person well regardless of the outcome? Just, do you know what I mean? Like at the sure. end of the day, I'm an outcome-focused person and I want a solution to, you know, every issue. What, do I, what, what, what happens when, there is, when people don't choose a, a solution to their issue or what happens when I don't see an outcome in the time frame I want it? Does that mean, you know, I have no peace? Does that mean I've failed? Does that, you know, I don't want it to mean any of that. So yeah, yeah, sure. Not to be a reflection on you. Yes, yeah. Cool. And if you were able to love well, irrespective of outcomes, in a way that wasn't a reflection on you, what would that give you? Just peace, man. It really would. Yeah. And tell me about that peace that you would have. That's peace is a, a pretty abstract kind of word. So how do you know it's peace? I, I, so not... I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about what the outcome's going to be. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be critiquing myself on, you know, am I doing this right? Is this right? Is this wrong? You know, I kind of, I guess I kind of always end up back at this mindset and this belief of is this right or is this wrong? And it's like, they're two really, you know, really limiting um, outcomes to have, right or wrong. Well, I've only got two outcomes. Is that it? <laughs> it's like, what other, yeah. what other outcomes are there? Surely there's got to be more because if we're only limited to two outcomes, right or wrong, that's just really restricting as far as I'm concerned. Great. So if you could love without attachment to right or wrong, good or bad, no judgment, and that gave you peace, um, what would happen next for you? Oh, I just feel like I'd be really unhindered. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like, I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'd be really unhindered. I feel like I'd feel free inside of myself and I can share that freedom with others. Yeah, great. Without having how would that make because the belief that I have at the moment, if I'm if I'm in a belief in this mindset that you know all outcomes have to either fall in the fall in the space of right or wrong, then that's what that's what I'm transferring to other people who I'm trying to help, and I don't want to limit them either. So 
because there has to be another way. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So if you could do that, then you would live unhindered. You'd, you'd be more effective at what you did and what you transferred to others. You'd have peace. Is there anything else about that whole scenario that is really desirable to you or anything else that it would give you? Well, I think with those things come come joy, come, you know, yeah, just that joy. Yeah, and how would you be feeling I'm about yourself in, in that space? Um... Yeah, I, I'd be feel. I'd, I'd just feel at so much peace that I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, another thing that I concern myself with, and that is judgment, you know, or the yeah. critique of other people. Like, yeah. you know, are you doing this right? Are you doing, are you doing that wrong? Or what's your advice to that person? Or you know, and obviously, you know, having um, having a really strong faith and a spiritual belief. You know, I have a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of my environment um, is circled around um, church, around faith, around Christianity. Yeah. And a lot of those beliefs um, can be interpreted quite restrictive, which I don't personally hold the belief of. But obviously, some at some stage, my story includes that. Otherwise, I wouldn't even feel the restriction I feel now. Yeah, of course. Yeah, great. Which is part of the story, which which sustains that fear and those practices at the moment. Uh-huh. Uh, and in order for you to get what you want, this end state, this desire, this beautiful, unhindered, judgment-free, effectiveness, peace, joy state that you're de- describing, there's got to be a very different story to sustain that than the one you have. Yeah. So let's go explore the story. The only story that that in which to be afraid of not loving well enough or to not be loved well enough, let's go explore the only story that it would make sense to be afraid of those two things. Let's explore the first one first, um, that you don't love well enough, so that there's something wrong with the way that you love others or something deficient in the way that you love others. What would be the backstory that would give that fear energy and make it make sense? Probably the fear of judgment. Fear of judgment yourself. So who's judging yeah, you? Yeah. Well, ultimately, you know, God. Which is okay. which is which is crazy, and I know it's only a story because in my subconscious mind, that that's that's not how I feel. I know that that is completely um, incorrect. You know. Yeah. Great. Um, Excellent. Yeah, cool. So, so there's often a dichotomy between what we think we believe and what we actually believe. And the cool thing to find out what we actually believe is behaviour, because behaviour never lies. So um, the fact that you are afraid of these things and this is how you're behaving proves that on the deepest level there is this story. Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense. If it didn't make any sense, you wouldn't do it. Yeah. So um, you're familiar with the rules and values piece? Is yeah. that something that you refer to at all? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So um, your value around um, being a good Christian, like obviously that's your yeah. highest value to be an effective, faithful Christian. Um, yeah. 
the rules around that are, are obviously interesting and part of what's happening. There are some subconscious well, not, rules. I mean, not, when... Yeah, not e- not even that. That's not e- you know. I just want to. I just want to love unconditionally the best that I can. I don't. I don't. I don't specifically, um, consciously anyway, maybe subconsciously, but, you know, I don't consciously care what my environment says or thinks or feels. You know, my 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 highest desires just come from, um, yeah, more of a just me and God, no one else. I understand that, but a minute ago you just said you the only story that makes sense for you to be afraid is that you fear God's judgment. Yeah. So at some level, there is some part of you which thinks you're not measuring up to the rule that you've set in your own mind around what would keep God happy, what would please God in this situation. Yeah. At some point, you don't get to give yourself a tick. Yeah, totally. Whether you want, whether that makes, whether you, you think you should or shouldn't, um, the proof is that that fear exists. Yeah. Um, and and it goes one level deeper because in order to feel like you're a good Christian and that's also tied in with your sense of feeling like you are a good person and that you mm-hmm. are valuable and worthwhile because that's that's an even deeper value that we all have that's part of our need for significance so you know we in order to sleep at night we have to square away with ourselves that we are a decent human being in spite yeah. of all of our mistakes all of our shortcomings all of our weaknesses all the things others say about us and the things we say about ourselves we have to find some way to Okay, no, you're all right. You're you're a decent human being, um, you know. But often the way we do that is unresourceful, and it's through comparison or being the martyr or keeping yeah. others happy. There's a whole bunch of un, you know, unconscious rules that allow yeah. us to get to sleep at night. So, so yeah, the, and I think the, I think it really whittles down to at the end of the day, I don't feel I, I don't feel enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough. Yeah, that's right. So there's and there's a rule that you put around measurement. You, I'll know that I'm enough when I love like Jesus loves, or I know that I'm yeah. good enough when I when I love like this. Then I'll know. Yeah. And the yeah. challenge is, on some yeah, level, you think, yeah, but I've just set a standard for myself that I'm never going to be able to get. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm stuffed. Um, <laughs> totally. Create so, <laughs> I, I could imagine. Yeah, I can imagine. Because you desperately wanted to side with your values, yet you set a standard yeah. that you can't achieve. Yeah. Um, you've picked the the perfect standard to go, right, that's how I know I'll be a good Christian and a good person when I can love like Jesus. Okay, well, that's, um, good luck with that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Not. So where so, did this come from? So where did this come from? Well, that's from? a good question. At some point, you know, because you're not just the actor in the story, you're the storyteller. So at some point, you have made a decision that that's how things are going to work. You have tied your value and worth with being able to show yourself and others that you can love like Jesus. Yep. Now, you're welcome to keep that rule because that's your rule and you made it. So it's meaningful to you and it served you on some level and you decided that was true and important. So you're welcome to keep that rule. 
for as long as you like. Uh, if you if you keep it, however, you will also keep this fear that you're not doing it well enough. The two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So what would be a different rule that you could write for yourself? Um, well, I guess any rule that I write for myself other than what I've already written um, surely has got to come from a new awareness, a new belief that I don't have at the moment. Sure. Yeah, it, it starts in this moment now where you're kind of examining the fact that you have written a rule already and uh-huh. you, you are not placing yourself as the victim of a rule that's been written for you. God didn't write that rule for you. A, a church pastor didn't write that rule for you. A friend or family member didn't write that rule for you. Your cat didn't write that rule for you. Aliens didn't write that rule for you. You wrote that rule. That's your, your handwriting. Uh-huh. So that already takes you out of the victim space and puts you with all the power and you're holding the pen. So there's, there's some awareness already that gives you more choice. Yeah. I mean, um, I, when I think about being a parent, I created a rule for myself that said, um, you know, in my idealistic sense of being a young man watching kids and watching parents, watching family and wanting to do well at it, I just, I, I internally said, I'm, it is possible to have perfect kids. And kids that misbehave is a reflection of poor parenting. So yeah. I, got a ch- I got a blank slate with kids. When I have kids, I got a blank slate and so I get to shape them how I want and if I do really well, I can create kids that are perfect. Now, you know, obviously anyone with a brain and any experience says, well, that's a crazy plan. But that was where I started. And so it caused me a lot of judgment and a lot of fear that I wasn't doing it right. And I set myself up for failure and, you know, I was judging myself and expecting others were judging me. And um, so part of my process around changing that was to go, hang on, um, no one wrote that rule. No one told you that's how it had to be. Um, and then people who are successful parents certainly don't have that rule. So what other rule could you try? And I experimented with a few, and the one that that worked best for me was um, I have decided that that I am a good parent and I will make more good choices than bad choices and we'll have more good days than bad days. And the net influence of my life with my kids will be positive. And I'll make mistakes, but I'll apologise for them. And I'll blow it, but I'll fix it and going to be okay so i created a rule that that already had the end point decided said oh i've already i'm already a good parent yeah my my kids are already blessed to have me as their dad great there's no pressure there so i can just show up as myself and when i show up as myself i'm much more likely to be relaxed be present be kind not be anxious or embarrassed or needy or desperate and so then i'd I'm probably more likely to be a much better parent anyway, and and you know then I'm much more likely to have a, a positive net influence on my kids. Yeah, I do, and I do have I I do have, you know those 
beliefs about myself that, you know, like, you know, often I'll say to myself, what the hell, like, you do love well, Lisa, like, you know, I say that to myself because I, you know, a lot of times, most times, I believe that. But, you know, well, obviously there there is a, that story undermining but that. Yeah. But that's not your rule. Your rule is not about whether you love well or not. Your love is do you, your rule is do you love perfectly? Yeah. That's your rule. You have to love perfectly to get this right. Yeah. So so you can be kind to yourself and compassion, say, Oh, Lisa, you're doing a good job, but deep down it's like, who cares? I I've missed this point, this point, this point, I'm no good there, there, there. So you don't really care about what you're doing right. To be perfect, all you're focused on is what you're doing wrong. Mm. So the awareness of this story gives you more choice because as you position yourself as a storyteller rather than victim, then you go, okay, there you go. Well, I wrote this thing and I wrote it because I was trying to do the best I knew how and I, it came out of a really beautiful desire to do good in the world. So great, great intention, wonderful. Uh, is there a better rule that could, be, could serve me even further and could take me to the next leg of the journey? And what would be the most, and here's, here's one that you could use back for yourself. What would be the most loving rule that you could write for yourself? You know, probably that um, I'm loved well. Because I, if, if, I think if I felt that, um, I think if I felt that I, I was, yeah, I was, loved or, you know, accepted um, without judgment and, you know, which technically I am. So, you know, um, but if I really believed that deep down, then, you know, I wouldn't have the requirement to um, try so hard or feel like there's some next step for me to obtain you know what I mean? If I felt that I was sure. already, or that I was already, um, you know, loved and accepted, like just as is, um, in my own mind, um, you know, a little bit short of like if I, but even if I believe that, then it, I wouldn't need to do more. I wouldn't need to be more. I wouldn't need to. Yeah, great. So. Great. So, who who were you loved and accepted by? What are you? So I don't know why I, why I wouldn't believe that. Great, but it just just define where that love is coming from. When you say I would need to believe I am loved and accepted, well, loved by who? Well, God. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I don't know where that story came from. That I'm not. Sure. So uh, when you think about beliefs like you understand, I'm sure that uh, our brain is just designed to find evidence for whatever we believe is true. Okay, yeah, that's good. So we can only, we don't have room for anything else. So if I believe you don't like me, then everything you say to me and do to me and every look is run through that filter and I'll delete the thought generalised to fit my beliefs 
So yeah. if there's been something in the past and I've decided that what is true is that you don't like me, then the next time we're talking and you make a joke with me or you come and you bake me a, you know, a cake uh, for my birthday and you bring it around and knock on my door, but I think you don't like me. And there you are on my door with a cake. I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Now she's trying to prove she's better than me. What's she want? What's she trying to get? There's a, there's a catch. There's a trick. She's trying to hurt me. Irrespective of what's in your heart, you can have the purest intention, the greatest love in your heart, but there's no way I'm receiving anything that you give me as love, especially not a chocolate cake. That's going on the list of another reason to prove you don't like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, yeah. you know, the, it's, it, it's so hard for you to, to, to convince me that it's love if I don't believe it's love. Yeah. Uh, you know, the same is true if I think you, if I think you do love me, and you don't, you hate me, and you come along and go, Jamie, you're such a dickhead. Like, why are you so stupid? I hate you. I wish you would die. Like, I'm thinking, what's wrong with Lisa? Maybe she needs a hug. Like, <laughs> is, she, you know, is she jealous of what I'm doing? Is she hurting right now? Like, that, I don't get it. Like, she thinks I'm awesome, so why would she be saying this? Like, yeah, yeah. it can't possibly be about me. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense. So clearly she she's having a bad day or... Wow, okay, yeah. come here, Lisa, give me a hug. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that is that is how we are doing every relationship, every interaction. You know, we've only got room for seven bits of information in any one moment. And that's not whether we should or shouldn't. That's a, that's a self-preservation mechanism. Because imagine being having to process every bit of information objectively at all times. Like, yeah, it's just... Yeah, seven's enough. Complete, well, that's right, seven's enough. Two million every second. Like, you just be completely paralysed by decision-making and filtering and working it out. So in order to survive, yeah. we have to break it down. So so the purest love in the universe comes into your world as love and you're like, why can't I just accept that God loves me for who I am? Well, mm. it's actually got nothing to do with what God's love is or isn't toward you. True. It starts and ends with what your love is toward yourself. True. If you think God's disappointed or not, you know, thinking, oh, geez, I wish Lisa would do it a bit better, or, oh, here's a fault, here's a flaw. You know, that's that's what you're it's receiving. True. That's right, because I, I really don't believe that. So I really don't believe that he's like that. So that, that you know, that, that belief has got to come from myself. Exactly. So subconsciously you're running these filters. No matter what it should or shouldn't do, it runs through that filters and comes out as more evidence that you're missing the mark and there's lack of you and you're not quite getting it. Yeah. which builds these fears that you're not quite loving well enough and that you won't actually be loved well enough. So, But it all comes down to what it is that you tell yourself about who you are and what you're worth. That's so the underlying say, insecurity. So why, Sorry? why would I have that story about myself? Oh, great, great question. You know, why does anyone have a story that says they're not quite good enough or not deserving of love? Take yourself out of the picture. I mean, this is the universal challenge we're talking about here, big, big, important topic um, that we all go through. Why would anyone tell themselves a story around lack and inadequacy and insecurity? Why do we do it? I don't know why do we <laughs> well 
obviously I think about this all the time. Um, and where I go to think about the answer to that question is just thinking about kids. So I think about where it starts. And by the time we're seven, most kids have, well, you know, all the research says we've made up our mind about so much of our life and who we are and what we believe is true by the time we're seven. That's probably going to happen sometime in naught to seven, these stories of inadequacy. And I reckon that most kids enter the world in a loving environment, no matter where, how good their parents are. I reckon most parents work out how to at least keep their child alive for the first two years, which means yep. constant care and attention, which is, you know, all that child needs um, and is receiving as love. But as that child gets a bit more aware and more cognitive and has more emotion and can process more information about the world, um, they're noticing deficiencies in their parents' loving strategies. And so they're starting from a very high place of love. They're starting from a position of going, I am loved and I am safe and I am the centre of the world. Yeah and, yeah. and I'm getting that reflected back to me. And then as they grow up, they get that reflected to them less and less and less. Parents are busy. Parents have got their own stuff to deal with. Other kids are competing. You know, there's tension, there's conflict, there's drama, there's pain that enters their world and they're like oh hang on a minute if I set myself up to this expectation that everyone is going to love me beautifully because that's what I deserve and then no one does that is a long way to fall every day yeah. so I'm sure you've heard people say the best way not to get hurt is to have no expectation yeah <laughs> to expect to be loved and are not loved or you suffer if you don't expect yeah. to be loved and you're not loved well it's just as you thought it was going to be yeah so so as a child we, we write stories that diminish our value and worth so it doesn't hurt so much when we don't get valued and worth and and made worth given worth yeah does that make sense yeah absolutely and um I was just asking myself the other day, before I was going to, before I booked my flights to Arizona, I had this real um, apprehension of, um, you know, leaving my um, ex-partner and he wasn't happy with me going and he felt like I was sort of, you know, leaving him high and dry kind of thing. Um, And of course, you know, I had no, we weren't together anymore, so I had no... um, you know, commitment to him at all, but I started feeling this real guilt, you know, um, which I which I feel like this guilt that if I choose to go on and make decisions for my own life, I'm leaving someone behind or abandoning someone or something like that. And yeah. um, you know, I just sort of sat with myself and I just had a bit of a pray, you know, so I thought, where did that story of guilt come from? And because I know I've got nothing to be guilty about, but there's obviously a belief there somewhere that's come in. And straight away, you know, I had this recollection of when my mum left my dad. And, you know, she had said to us as kids, I was 12, my brother was 13, we're leaving in two weeks, I've organised a a, uh, removalist truck. You're not to tell your father that we're leaving and you're not to say goodbye. So for two Mm. weeks we were like, you know waiting this impending doom that we were going to be leaving our dad and moving like eight hours away from him and he was going to come home from work 
and there's no kids at home, no wife at home. There wasn't even, we didn't even leave him a knife and fork. And the whole day was just, you know, horrible. Just, I just kept feeling like, you know, my dad's going to feel so lonely. My dad's going to feel so, you know, lost and like he's going to really miss us. And, you know, which he did. He spent the next, you know, two weeks bawling his eyes out on the phone. And so, you know, I had that, I, I knew then where that story had, of guilt came from. So it wasn't, you know, in my conscious mind that I was guilty of anything, but it was just a story that had stuck with me. Um, and so I was able to, you know, really let that go and go, well, you know, that's not the way it is now. And that was the way it was back then. And blah, 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 book my flight mm-hmm. the next day. So I know mm-hmm. that there is definitely some, you know, story playing there. Sure. So just a just a quick distinction in terms of the difference between behaviour management and lasting change or the short-term relief from that story as opposed to the core changing of that story. Um, I think in terms of the process, it's, it's actually not just enough to reframe your love today for your dad, but to reframe the experience when you're eight. Yeah. So you well, don't... Yeah. So you're guilty not because of what your mum did to your dad. You, you feel guilty because you feel responsible. You feel like you are to blame. You are the one that inflicted pain on your dad. So that's who you are. You are the person who leads people. You are the person who who abandons others. That's who you are. Oh. So... Just reframing now is is building on a faulty foundation. It's building on a foundation that, that's, no, 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 I'm great. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I love well. Awesome. That's great. But in your past, you don't believe that's true. You feel if you, at the deepest level, you're a person who abandons people and leaves people high and dry because you did it when you were eight to someone who loved you and you loved So how do you 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 just obliterate that lie? Because that's what it is. So so the only way to obliterate it is to go back as an adult and talk to that eight year old and and understand her pain and to give her more choice around that experience. So she has to she has to tell a different story about what because like we're, we're constantly asking and answering these two questions. Why did that happen and what does it mean about me? You know what? I think I've just realised where that story comes from, the whole lot of it. I had to love the way my mum told me to love. Yeah, great. So... If a person's done the wrong thing, you shouldn't be talking to them. I mean, like, this went on through my whole... Teenage years, my you know my weddings, you know my mum to be at the same wedding with my dad, and my you know it was like you know why are you even inviting him? Blah blah blah. Like he left us and we left him, and he was this, he was that. Why do you even have value to him? Great, but remember, at some point you've internalised this. This is not about your mum and what she's told you to do. You're not a victim of her thing. At some point, you have decided you need to defer to your mum's instruction because there is an inadequacy in your ability to love. 
because you are the kind of person who abandons people who you love and who love you. So you can't be trusted to make your own assessment of what love is. Your love is yeah, faulty. The way you love is faulty. Like, yeah, it's a really good point because I, I do. I feel like I can't trust my own. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. So because you're like, hang on a minute, I love my dad and I feel so sorry for him, but I, I abandoned him. Yeah. So it's to go back and to... The only way you set yourself free from the situation is to go back and revisit that very story and give yourself more choice and and rewrite a story. Yeah. Now, obviously, that story has served you. Obviously, that story has given you energy and protected you throughout the year. So part of you doesn't want to change that story. Part of you feeds off that story. Yeah. If you want to get what, if you want this end state, this peace, this freedom, this ability to show up unhindered, then that story is, there's a different telling of that story. Mm -hmm. So what else could that mean for that eight-year-old? What else, how else could you answer this? Why is this happening and what does it mean about me? Oh, I think you know what it might come back to that um i think I think it might come back to that feeling of being helpless that I didn't have a choice yeah exactly sure but I'm saying what what could you make it mean so what what empowering stories could you decide what what meaning could you choose on that event that could serve you moving forward and help you get more of what you want? Well, I could have I could have been completely I could have chosen to be completely free in loving my dad regardless of who he was or how he changed or didn't change. But again, sure, yeah, but... I come back to that place of I don't think I did that back then because of the fear of judgment. Yeah, great. So, so go back and imagine or see yourself as that eight-year-old girl. Understand her world, understand her pain, understand what was going on for her at that time and what other stories could be told different from you are a person who does not love well, you abandon those who love you and those whom you love. What other stories could be told about that little girl? Well, that I was actually very loving very considerate and compassionate so then why great so why then did you leave your dad well I didn't okay but you still did Pushing back because you got to like this is all the subconscious. Yeah, but well, you forgot about that. Uh huh. Hang on. You know these are all the internal dialogue going on here. There's loopholes. There's, there's gaps in the story. This story has to cover all the gaps. You did leave. You did go with your mum. You did physically leave your dad. Yeah. So, so just saying I didn't leave doesn't actually solve the problem for you. It's got to be a story that tells a different 
reason why did this happen and what does this mean about me? A different way of making sense of that whole experience. I don't know where to go from here. Um, okay. I mean, I know after... I know after, uh, you know, we always have these conversations and always after a coach, coaching session, you know, I really sit with things and because I have the time and the space to do that, I, awareness always comes, so you know I'm confident that that's what's going to happen. Um, sure. Just one last question. So, if you were to take yourself out of the picture, you know, because you you desire to love well, so imagine this was some other eight year old girl whose mum was saying, right, we're going to leave in two weeks and don't tell your father, and this is what's going to happen. Um, so, imagine you had no connection, no agenda. You were a dispassionate observer. And you're looking at this little eight-year-old. Um, what what story would you be telling around why this is happening and what does that mean about her? Well, I'd be saying that it has nothing to do with her. Yeah, of course, you would. Okay. Dad's obviously been, been painful. Mum snaps. She's reached a limit. He's caused her so much pain... She's going to now inflict pain on him and the most pain she can think of inflicting is to take herself and the ones he loves away. So, oh, totally. Okay. And she's being used in this plan uh, and she can't really get out of the plan because she's only eight. So even if she doesn't like the plan, it's, she's probably not old enough to survive on her own. So, okay. And she's probably more attached to her mum than her dad. So, all right, she's going in that car. This is happening, and that's going to be tough for her. Actually, I was always more attached to my dad, which I think uh, made it harder. Well, maybe not attached um, emotionally, but I mean... Um, yes, yeah, yeah. It's probably likely physically, and yeah. your mother's more more likely to be the one making lunch, doing groceries, yeah. making beds, washing clothes, you know, so you're yeah. probably more likely as a child to need your mum and your dad. Um, yeah, so all that to say, if, you, if you're dispassionate and have no agenda and you're observing, of course you're not going to make it mean anything about that eight-year-old. You're not going to, going to say, right, here's the thing that's going to sum up this girl's ability to love for the rest of her life in this moment. You're not going to make any judgment about her capacity to be loved or, or her capacity to love in that moment. You're not looking yeah. at anything about her. You're feeling... Sorry for her, you're feeling like, oh, this is going to hurt. You're in the middle of a war that has nothing to do with you. That will cause you pain and suffering. Hope you hope you decide a meaning that serves you, but I bet you don't. Yeah, yeah. And, you I, seen... and I guess... Sorry, I just... I cut you off, you go. No, you can go, yeah. Have you seen the movie Daddy's Home 2? <laughs> yes, Levi's favourite movie, <laughs> Incredible. I've got to talk to Amity of the movies to see that. And uh, I thought it was just so clever and, and hilarious when, you know, Will Farrell's character is talking to this little girl 
um, and her parents have divorced and she's well-rounded and whatever. And he's like, hang on a minute, wasn't that your fault? Like, didn't you cause that? Like, no, no, what, didn't have anything to do with me or something. No, I'm pretty sure that's not true. I'm pretty sure you're the one to blame. You know, so it was just, it was just the total reversal of roles. You know, yeah. most kids are going, oh, my goodness, that's my fault. I'm the one to blame. I'm the bad person. If I was a better kid, my parents would still love each other. And the adult's yeah. supposed to say, no, no, that's not true. But, you know, it was the irony of the situation um, to switch those roles and the adult saying, it was all your fault. And the kid being able to say, hey, that had nothing to do with me. Back up. Um, but it's a, it's a great, a, a very useful piece of of. TV, you know, to go, yeah, yeah how, how clever, because that's exactly what happens. Kids decide yeah. about them, and adults have more objectivity, more rational thinking, more ability to be cognitively aware of what's going on, and more maturity, and can go, hey, clearly that wasn't about me. So that's all yeah. that's happening here. You're going back to that situation as an adult now, with all your learning, your resources, your emotional intelligence, your responsibility, your desire, just like you would for any other eight-year-old that you'd ever come across. Mm-hmm. You're just going back and mm-hmm. being the hero in the story for your eight-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, and totally. And so of course, and of course you know the other story. Yeah. And I think that the, the, the issue is that um, the story is that I have no choice. I have no choice in the matter. I have to love like this or I have to do this or I have to be like this you know what I mean like I, I I remember when I was five years old man from as young as I was five years old I always knew my parents were going to divorce always um and can, I yeah to, can I just know, press pause there it's because I don't agree with what like you that the story is that you have no choice if you had no choice then it's not your fault so that's not true. You've found a story that is your fault. It's entirely your fault. You're not to be trusted to love. Therefore, you have to listen to how others tell you to love. Mm. That's the only story that makes sense. If you had no choice, well, then you're off scot-free because that's not your fault. You gave up choice because you didn't trust your own choice. Yeah, it's a really good point and it's really true. So part so of how you, do I get to that place of trusting myself? Well, you go back to where the story started and you throw doubt at it and you write a new story, simple and hard. Part of you, and this is the whole thing about limiting beliefs, they serve us, so we don't want to let go of them. If you have a fear yeah, about yeah. eating alive, being eaten alive by sharks, well, then you don't go swimming in the beach. So, that, yeah. so you can never be eaten alive by sharks. So part yeah. of us fears that it's true so then you yeah. can't let go of it. Yeah. So when you're ready to let go of it and you're really done with it and it really has stopped serving you, then it is as simple as going back and setting that eight-year-old free from a story that she decided was about her. You've got all the skills and tools because you could use it very clearly with someone else, yeah. being, being the loving person in, this, in your own story when you're ready. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess what you're saying is, or which I, what I'm hearing, you know, is that to use that story of not having a choice, um, or you know, which then comes in the story of obligation, or I have to do this. Really, yeah. um, you lean on that because 
there's a whole sense of um, there's a whole <laughs> there's a whole new sense of power that comes with choice. And if you've grown up not trusting your choices, well, you defer to I don't have a choice. Exactly, and it feels like oh, poor man, I don't have a choice. But in fact, you've given away choice because choice is dangerous. Because you're going to make if you've got choice, you're going to make the bad, you're going to make the wrong choice. Yeah, yeah, that, that's definitely how I feel. So that's so nice. Wrong. Well, discovering the origin is is incredibly crucial, and you've just given yourself a massive gift by being aware of that. And so the next part's easy when you're ready. Mm. Straightforward. Yeah, it's good. I can really see that. Mm, okay. Um, that feels like an okay place to leave the conversation for now. It feels to me like you're, you've got some clarity around the next steps for you. Is that is that how you yeah, feel? It's just, yeah, it's just stepping out of that now and building on that the way I want to, the way I choose to, because um, I have got choice. There is no obligation... I don't have to do anything. I, I have that choice. Well, sure. And you, you, you know, actually, that actually becomes... Building that trust. Sure. Yeah. And if you build on that story without changing it, though, it will undermine you and come back and you'll be yeah. fighting against yourself, going consciously I believe this, but subconsciously I believe that which is exactly where you are now. So the process is there's some there's a conversation you have with that 8-year-old and she's waiting she's been waiting a long time and you can you know part of you doesn't want to have that conversation for fear of what if it's true. Uh, and this is a this is a part of the hero's journey. You have to go face the thing you're most afraid of. And the only way out is through. So my serve you by holding you in that space to say that that's the conversation. That's the point of change. That conversation with that eight-year-old girl. So you deceive yourself if you think change is anywhere other than that. Mm. Yeah. Because you can get short-term change other than that, but but that's the long-term change conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. It's good. No, I've got some really good um, awareness. Yeah, great. Thank you. So is it okay to leave the conversation here? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's good. It's a good place to build from. Uh, well, again, I appreciate your vulnerability and the fact you've been willing to have a very real conversation publicly. And I, I guarantee you there'll be a lot of people who'll be trying this story on and finding their story in your stories. I'm sure this and, conversation and I'm sure will be helping be a to a lot of people. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of parents out there going, shit, I'm not leaving him now, poor kid. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But, yeah, no. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, what Catherine and I always say, uh, we'll do the best we can and then when our kids are older, we'll get them a coach. We'll fix up all the messages. <laughs> Because I love hearing stories. I love hearing stories of of people who had really wonderful parents and they're still messed up. Because it just goes, uh, it doesn't matter whether your parents are good or bad, whether they did a good job or a poor job. You're still the one telling the story, so yeah, you can it's tell whatever stories. Individual journey, yeah. And it's often the really innocuous things that become the big things. Like it's 
it's even the, when the parents were doing something right but the kids thought it was wrong. That's the thing that often gets inside them and becomes a big story. So you can't really win as a parent. You just no. do the best you can no. and, and uh, empower your kids with choice and responsibility to be their own storyteller. That's right. Mm. True. I've had four. So, uh, yeah, I hear plenty of stories coming back. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Brought some really good awareness um, and a really good place to um, heal from and build from from here. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm glad you found it useful. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity, check out the 30-day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp combines high quality frameworks with one-on-one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being